All right, this morning we're going to be opening our Bibles to Judges chapter 4. Starting at verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth, Hygoim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for they had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abonim, from Kadesh Nephal, and said to him, has not, the Lord God, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Nephali and the people of Zebulun, and I will dry out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with the ch- his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. The whole book of Judges is one where the nation of Israel is constantly finding themselves in positions of uh, deep needed guidance due to fairly often large self-induced trauma. The nation finds himself in a position of comfort, in a position of prosperity, as they have done throughout uh, the entirety of Scripture to this point. And then it creates this sense of peace, this sense of comfort, and this backsliding begins of attitudes, of behaviors, of dispositions. And thus the time of the judges was needed, where the Lord would raise up individuals to give guidance, to give correction, when they needed it most. Now, in this moment, the nation is experiencing an attempt from the Canaanites to resume power and control over the area from the north. They're also dealing with a Philistine struggle for that exact same land from the southern southern and eastern central regions. This has put them in a position where they as a nation are feeling pressure among every side from different enemies with different challenges for them to face. And they are feeling at a place where they are borderline about to be overrun at any given point. Now this passage doesn't necessarily speak to our confidence in what is going on within this community to begin with. The first verse begins with, And the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Now we need to realize that this verse uh, starting is, is to paint a picture for us, but the picture is not just one color. We recognize that yes, the people in the nation are pulling away from God. Yes, the average behavior is drastically falling apart in terms of things that honor the Lord, but it is not reflective of every single person within the Israelite community. The fact that, once again, without having a strong uh, central figure in place as they had with the past, they are finding that people are following their own ideas individually more and more, and faithfulness is becoming rarer and rarer. And this brings us to the life and ministry of Deborah. 
But before we dive too much into what it was of her ministry, we should spend some time really to look at the character of Deborah. Now, once again, this requires us to look at a number of different passages and a number of different sections, but there are a couple things that we can uh, discern about Deborah as an individual. Deborah was a married woman, and she was an, in, uh, she was an individual of extremely high character. She served God, and she followed God's commands. Had she not, she would never have been appointed to the position that she had been. Deborah was not in a position, as so many in the nation were, of violating moral boundaries or values. There's nothing in Scripture in any of the verses to speak to anything aside from the fact that she served honestly and earnestly, that she loved the Lord God with all of her heart, soul, and mind, and strove to serve Him faithfully in her role as a leader. Now, this role as a judge provided her three almost fairly unique skill sets to operate out of. And the first is that she was a divinely appointed judge of Israel within the community. Now, this concept of judge, it's almost like the New Testament equivalent of an elder. It's a communicator for the people of spiritual truth and actionable guidance of who God is, what he says, and how we best can serve him or follow those commands. Deborah was a mediator of conflict. It said once again that she had her own place uh, where she would sit and people from all throughout the community would come to her. Now it's important to note that as a judge, Deborah was not the only one within the structure of Israel at this time. I think oftentimes when we read the book of Judges, we get this uh, image of one central figure who did all the, all the leadership roles and nobody else in that community at that point in time was particularly uh, capable or willing or um, morally upright. But we know that she served along another, a number of other judges, including a judge named Shagmar, who was noted for his courage. He was renowned as a warrior, and he had success within his leadership skills within the community. And Deborah served alongside him in her role. And it's also really important to recognize that when we look at the structure of how the community was um, built, there would have actually been, and they say this in Judges chapter 9, there would have been elders within the community that would have sat at each of the local city gates. So it's important to recognize that within this leadership structure that existed, that there was almost more regional individuals who looked after their certain areas, kind of the leaders of the threes, the twelves, the fifties, and the hundreds, and then there would have been those who once again were serving in a capacity over and above those who would handle larger issues of dispute and conflict. And in that sense, Deborah was not the only source of leadership that was available and that was biblically honoring at the time. Deborah held her court under a palm tree, and it's interesting because I don't think we realize, culturally speaking, how, how important this image of this, palm, uh, of this tree is. In my uh, doctoral class, I take um, my programming, and one of our classmates is from Cameroon. And he was talking about uh, meeting at the mango tree, at the mango tree. 
And I said, why, is the building covered, like, mango-colored or something? And he goes, no, no, literally, we follow the Old Testament motto, and our church meetings are held under a large mango tree in our community. And it's, it's important because it's a place for the community of refreshing, because it is shaded, it is cool. It's a, a place where sustenance can be found, because you snack on mangoes while under the mango tree going through your church business. It's a place of community because it's large enough that it can actually spaciously include not just three or four people, but dozens of people can sit and share in fellowship in this time. So this concept of Deborah being a judge and having a place of centrality, it was a place that was designed to be inclusive for those in the community. A place that could provide an opportunity for more than just a couple people to sit and come, but it would end up being a community center within how they lived and within how they functioned within that specific area. It was a visual place where the community would gather and know that there would be guidance, there would be comfort, there would be peace, and there would be direction that could be found. And in her role as, Deborah, as judge and elder within the community, Deborah was valued for the quality of her ministry. It says in verse 4 and 5 that she was sought out by many Israelites from a huge area to decide on these disputes. And that wasn't simply because she was the only God-gifted leader within that. But it's because the wisdom in which she served, the compassion in which she led, and the faith in which it was all displayed in was visually evident and attractive to everyone in the community. And it wasn't due to lack of other capable leaders, but it was representation of the gifts, the skill sets, and the abilities that God had placed in her. Deborah was a prophetess. The role of prophet is, is a word we read tons about within Scripture, within the Old Testament imagery and with the New Testament. But sometimes I think within our modern-day church, this is the gift that we forget is is still operable today. Within the fivefold gifts of ministry in Ephesians chapter 4, apostle, teacher, shepherd, evangelist, and prophet. I think sometimes we've wrapped our mind into this world, this concept that a prophet is to give fire and brimstone judgment or only really speaks when lives are at risk. But the concept of a prophet really has two basic principles to it, which are applicable to almost any of us in terms of abilities. Number one is the ability to communicate the will of God, to hear, to understand, and to explain that in a way that makes sense to the people around us, whatever that immediate community looks like. But to be able to share the heart of God, first and foremost, And number two, to be able to foresee the impact of decisions and coming events. And yes, sometimes God gives this a little more in a a spiritual way where we are able to foresee things and uh, explain what is about to come in a way that ends up actually taking place where truth is being shared. But it's also just in terms of sometimes common sense. I I always wondered about that, looking at the prophets in the Old Testament. Even as this book of Deborah begins, and people did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, well, did they really know it was evil? Obviously, they knew it was evil. The community just got to a point where they probably just didn't care as much or didn't feel motivated. 
So is the role of the prophet in this case really telling them anything that they didn't already know? No, but it's explaining that unless the path ahead changes, this will be the outcome that will be arrived at. If you do not turn, you will eventually hit something driving your car. And this role of the prophet is really much in that role of communicating God's expectation and giving guidance to how that will happen if you do or if you do not act in response to that. And Deborah's role as prophet Tess was in this way to see what was happening, to speak clearly about what is going to be the result of these actions, granted to a group of people who didn't want to hear it. And I think that's one of the reasons why this concept of prophet is one that we don't talk too much about because generally the prophets are not very much appreciated in their time. But for any of us to see what God is saying, to share what God is saying, and to be able to see the outcome of the actions that are taking place, that is the role and function of a prophet. And in that sense, that skill set and group of abilities is just as active now as it ever was. And finally, Deborah served in a military capacity. If you continue reading in verse 8 and onward, you'll see that in this specific situation, this is where her gift of leadership was extra valuable because of the failure of those who were in those roles otherwise. Deborah's military leadership uh, was in reflection of the poor leadership of those current military leaders. And I think even then, her success and victories, even within that field, didn't necessarily have anything deep and meaningful or unknown in terms of strategy, but it had to do with that was where the people lacked the most confidence in God, in God's protection. And the Lord used her in that capacity to cover the weaknesses of the leaders around her. God in this relationship and in this ministry with Deborah entirely blessed her as she functioned in this judicial capacity. As he continued to bless her in the success of her ministry as more and more ministry came to her. As God grew her and allowed her to function out of the unique gifts that were hers and blessed the community around her. We realize that all of this came due to a faithfulness that she had. And her leadership thus then had a huge, deep, positive, and lasting effect within the community and for us today. Now, not everyone respected Deborah on the fruits of her ministries. It's, it's clear as we look through these verses and others in and around it. It wasn't an issue with Deborah in terms of the fact that what she was doing was what God has asked. It wasn't that what she was doing wasn't building the kingdom's sake around her. But there are individuals who just did not like the idea of her leadership for the sake of who she was. And in that sense, very rarely was she ever evaluated on the fruit of her ministry. And how is it that we really recognize that someone is serving God faithfully? How, is it really, how do we really recognize whether they're living a life 
that is in line with what Scripture's teaching is. It's based off the fruit of their ministry. It's based off the fruit of their life. To be seeing the positive outcomes and blessings of God due to faithfulness in that. And despite these obstacles, despite these concerns and pressure from those around her, Deborah served willingly and faithfully in line with who God had designed her to be. Now what I find particularly interesting about this is that we could have been one decision away from never having heard of Deborah within our scriptures. In a world full of other capable, God-fearing judges and elders within the community, in a world full of gifts that were obviously having a positive impact to the community, it would have been all too easy for Deborah in her day and age to look around and say, they've got this under control. There's, there's still a positive presence of God in this community. Yes, the nation is losing their mind a little bit here. But it would have been a very easy internal argument for Deborah to convince herself that there was no need to participate and contribute within that society in that time. Let the other's leaders serve. There's more than enough of them. They're already appointed in these positions, and they are already operating in a way that is needed. It would have been all too easy for Rebecca to convince herself that there was no need to contribute because there were other people in that space. But Deborah instead chose to lean on the calling that she had felt, to lean on the nurturing that God had been doing within her soul of what made her unique and what made her the person that had something of value to contribute. Deborah chose to allow God to use her in a way that would ultimately bless the community without necessarily having, having the full picture in sight over what it would look like. But God designed her in a way, God designed her with a specific identity that had an immense kingdom impact for that moment in that time. And in a way that nobody else within that entire community could have filled. Deborah's leadership brought something to the table that was needed and required for people to start finding their way back into a faithful life with the Lord. And it could have entirely been missed had Deborah just decided there are other people, there are enough individuals, and they don't need me. I think each and every day we're, we're faced with that same question and decision within the modern day church. I think we have 
lots of programs, we have lots of leadership structures, we have lots of teams, and there are a lot of people serving within, within the system. Now, I know each and every ministry still is looking for a few more leaders, but I think it functions at least in a life support capacity sometimes enough that there doesn't really feel the need for us to jump in and serve. I think it's really easy for us to look around the room and see sometimes really gifted, capable people serving in a role and think, well, look at that. What could I bring that could match or be better than that? But I think that's entirely the wrong question. When we look at how we have been designed, we have all been made within the image of God. We've all been made with the intellect, intelligence, to be able to understand that God has this desire for a personal, individual relationship with each and every one of us. And that relationship is a two-way street. We look to the Lord. He provides us the strength. He provides us um, the sustenance. He provides us the guidance. But it's also in terms of what we allow ourselves to be able to give back to God. As we are the indwelling place of the Holy Spirit, he is looking to create in us skill sets to have an ultimate use for them. But whether or not that ever happens entirely is based on our willingness. And I I honestly wonder if, even in my own life, if God had laid on my heart at the age of 16 to, uh, to become a pastor and preacher... I probably would have said no. I remember at 17 telling a friend, uh, Bible college would be kind of fun to do if it wasn't such a waste of time. Yet when I started to discover an attractiveness about a certain skill set, God nurtured that in such a way that he allowed me to gain the confidence in it so when the opportunity arose to do something important with it, I was actually willing to take not the first step, but the eighth or ninth step on a journey that I was already on of recognizing how God designed me with a certain amount of extrovertedness and comfort in social circles. That then the next step was to just see that gift within a slightly different context. And I think in that sense, God is developing each and every one of us with something of a unique skill set that nobody else in this room can replicate. And the person beside you, behind you, could not be that gift within the body of Christ. Only you can be the gift that God has designed you to be within the body of Christ. And yes, within our system and structure, we can look around and see that we're getting by okay. Yeah, once again, Awana's looking for some more leaders. Uh, Street Connection would enjoy a few more people, but they're all functioning to a level that from the outside looks just fine. And I know within our church, sometimes our leadership recruitment only happens when there's a seat to fill. We don't have enough people doing this because we need more people or 
um, somebody's going to be finishing this job, so we need to get somebody into that job for that transition time. But I think sometimes that's the worst possible way we could focus on leadership as a church. Trying to promote structures and fill roles rather than looking and asking the question, what is it that you could do that nobody else could? Or what is it that you could do that could provide a blessing in a way nobody else in the community is designed to do? Deborah answered this call of leadership not because there was a vacancy, not because there was any specific uh, requirement of uh, succession, but she filled this need within the community because of giftedness and divine appointment. And in her service was a response of faithfulness. And in a world where not everyone appreciated her leadership, where she could have stayed home, she chose to participate. She chose to contribute to the body. And imagine how much Israel would have lost if Deborah had just let the opportunity pass. But I think for us, that is what we do sometimes. We just allow the opportunity that God has built to pass because we don't recognize it for what it is. So the question that this leads me to wonder and I ask for myself all the time is are you presently serving from a place of your strengths and giftedness? Are you operating in In your life, are you serving out of the thing that makes you unique, that God has designed and blessed you for? Because if not, it's coming at a great cost to the kingdom work. My grandma, when she was in her 70s, decided to start volunteering at a youth shelter uh, out in Oshawa serving meals. And I remember sitting with her, I was maybe 19, 20 at the time, and she was talking to me about how absolutely petrified she was of the kids. Um, they dressed really strangely, they looked angry and upset or hurt all the time, and she just didn't feel like they wanted her in that space with her. And she's like, well, I don't, I don't know what to do. You're, you're young, you, you tell me what to do. And I kind of laughed and I said to her fairly sarcastically and fairly truthfully, just go be a grandma. And she kind of looked at me and I said, these, these are homeless kids here. They probably have never actually had a senior sit down with them and just listen. And I know you're great at doing that because you've dealt with me for a lot of years. So just go try it. And I remember I didn't see her for about a month after that and came back and all of a sudden, uh, Erla was the favorite, favorite volunteer because she was one of the ones who would come and actually sit down with each individual kid and just do the grandma thing of listening. Now, if I had said to my grandma, two years before grandma, I want you to go hang out with street youth, I can only imagine the anxiety that would have caused her. But as soon as she got this concept that it was, it was about being who you were 
and who you are in a moment that God had made space for, everything after that just made sense. The whole concept of serving didn't seem half as strenuous. It didn't seem nearly as scary. And the people around would just be blessed from that. So I think as, as a church and as individuals, I think the time has come for us to really do some deep reevaluation of what it is that we're serving within. And to try to realign that with who God made you to be because that is where you will do your best and most capable and most impactful work through the work of the Spirit. And maybe for this, maybe if walking that through, maybe if considering that and doing that, for you might require you to stop volunteering in areas, to say, I'm not going to do this anymore, or I'm going to let go of this, then just do it. Because who knows, maybe that will become the gap that somebody else will step into. But at the same time, why would we want to serve in a place that we're not able to make the biggest, deepest change for? Within sports teams, people have positions for a reason. Within leadership teams, people are designed for certain roles for certain reasons. We only desire to serve God honestly and earnestly, but sometimes because we haven't had the space, time, or understanding to listen in that process, we find ourselves in a position or doing a job that we either just really don't enjoy or someone else could be doing much more impactfully than we are. And all of this comes from two things. From first, a place of willingness to pause, to listen, to hear what it is that God is saying, where God is leading, and how he is building. But then it also comes from a place of obedience, of being able to let go when we need to let go. And a place to pick up where it requires us to do something that may be uncomfortable to begin with, but will ultimately change the lives of the people and of the ministry and of the impact that God has. As we look to within this passage, as we, as we seek from God what it is through this coming week, as we look at the life and ministry of Deborah, we recognize that it was a life of faithfulness to the call that God had made, to the positions that were needed. But the outcome for the kingdom's sake was so much better than if anyone else had been doing that job. As the team comes forward, let's bow in prayer. Father God, we thank you for, for these images that you have given us of a future, of an impactful meaning and moment. Father God, as we come before you, we pray that you would just give us courage. Give us comfort, give us peace to look within
within how we're living and how we're leading. That you would allow us to use your wisdom to discern which areas we need to invest more in and which areas we need to pull away from. And to recognize that if that is a church means we need to start something new, then great. It will bless you. And Lord, if that is a church means that it's time to let something go, then we ask that we can celebrate the history that we've had to be able to put something down and finish it well. And to recognize that by doing so, we are being faithful to the call that you have. Father God, as we give this to you, we recognize that the only real direction and truth can come from you. We ask that you'd speak to our hearts. In your name we pray.